from the squeaky clean studios of Univest at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. It is time for another exfoliated episode of Chemical Free Horticultural Hijinks You Bet Your Garden. The loofah is probably the most unusual gourd of all time. You don't grow it for eating like butternut squash or for carving like a Halloween pumpkin. You grow it to harvest sponges for your bath or shower. I'm Mike McGrath, and on today's show, we'll discuss the challenges and rewards of growing loofah gourds. Plus, lots of your fabulous phone call questions, comments, tips, tricks, suggestions, and rationally related ramifications. So stay right where you are, cats and kittens, because it's all coming up faster than you exfoliating away right after this. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden. From the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA, I am your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later in the show, it is the most fun novelty crop you can grow in your own garden. Yes, the loofah gourd. We love it. And you won't miss a bit of the growing information because it's coming up after lots of your fabulous phone calls at 888-492-9444. Tom, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. It's an honor and a privilege. Well, the honor is all mine, and um, I am privileged to speak to you. How's that? That's great. Um, okay, so uh, how are you doing? I'm doing reasonably well for an old fella. How about your young spry self? Uh, well, <laughs> if I were young, <laughs> I, I think I'd feel a lot better. I'm... Um, I'm sitting up, I'm taking nourishment, trying not to complain, you know. Actually, I should say, I'm just ducky. I've heard you say that maybe before. Yeah. All right. So where are you, Tom? I'm in Bell Buckle, Tennessee. Oh, I love it. I love it. Uh, where, are we near Ma- Nashville or Memphis? Um, Bell Buckle is about uh, 50 miles southeast of uh, Nashville. Okay, but you're not down in, the like, the three corners or anything like that? No. Okay. I'm about an hour's drive from the Alabama border. Okay. All right, and what can we do you for? I've had a troubling uh, deep—I grow okra, um, and— uh, had a good crop this year, and it, it late in the year here, it has suddenly been infested with what appear to be just black dots all over the uh, uh, upper growth and the leaves, uh, underneath the leaves especially, and I can't figure out what it is and or what to do about it. Uh, do you know what it is or what I should do about it? Well, had you not sent us some uh, excellent photos... I would have led you down a garden path because okra is prone to a disease called leaf spot uh, that uh-huh. makes dark lesions on the leaves. 
Um, it's yeah. also prone to anthracnose, which is a disease that affects many, many plants and can be devastating uh, for an okra harvest. Um, but we're, what you're showing me is clearly insect infestation. Really? Yes. Okay. Um, now, you say you, you got good okra, and then when did the bugs show up? Um, about uh, two weeks ago. It's uh, late in the growing season. We haven't had a frost down here yet. Uh, we've gotten close, so it hasn't killed the okra, but it's come on and strong, this, whatever this stuff is. Yeah. Insects, now, uh, now, your okra, uh, have you been picking it small? Uh, yeah, yes, mostly. Uh, you have to pick it fairly quickly, often, uh, to keep it growing. And you, I pick it when it's about three inches long, ideally. You go to four, it gets tough after it gets too exactly, big. Exactly. I make pickled okra, fried okra, gumbo with okra, uh, lots of uses. I, Useful I, vegetable. Isn't there a state law that you have to make gumbo with okra in Tennessee? Um, there should be, but I don't know that I'm, I'm familiar with that exactly. <laughs> okay, so the good news here, clearly, is you got an entire growing season, let's be honest. Yeah, you, you harvested much, yeah. as much okra um, probably as would have been possible. And I want to reiterate what we just spoke about. Um, okra is one of those crops like zucchini and string beans that should be harvested young. Um, the advice even in the university bulletins is harvest every day. Don't let them get big, or as you said, they'll get tough and stringy. And I believe that people who say they don't like okra uh, failed to pick it in time. Uh, that's probably so. So what we got now, uh, uh, raised bed, flat earth, um, feed, mulch? Uh, yes, I use raised bed gardens. They're about 10 by 10 uh, feet. I've got uh, eight of them in the backyard. Um, and, and I dedicate one to okra every year. Oh, Okay. There's uh, there's 80% of your answer. And uh, what are the beds filled with? Oh, well, I sort of rotate things. I grow a mix of stuff. Right now I've been planting uh, kale for the fall and winter, and I've got some onions and uh, a few carrots. Uh, earlier I grow um, uh, a lot, try to grow a lot of tomatoes, mm -hmm. uh, green beans, um, Squash, uh, both zucchini and yellow squash. Right. Uh, I do a mixture. And what what are the beds soils composed of? Uh, I started. They, they are about ten years old now, and I started with uh, some topsoil I bought uh, and mixed with the uh, natural dirt there. I buy a load of. Uh, cow manure compost every year from a, a dairy farmer not far away and mix that in um, and I use uh, 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 mulch from leaf clippings or, uh, and or grass clippings as okay. you have suggested on occasion now the grass clippings they're not from a treated lawn are they no okay good um, 
the cow manure, is it dried? Uh, it's uh, no, it, well, it's damp. Mm-hmm. It has been, the guy keeps it for like two years mm. and uh, turns it over. And he does, I believe it's pretty good stuff. Well, cow manure is very light in nutrients, but the nutrients are well balanced compared to horse manure. Um, uh-huh. It would be a mistake to uh, feed horse manure to okra. That would make it even uh, more prone to toughness. But mm-hmm. um, what I'm going to suggest, because I'm guessing you're giving yourself a lot of weeds by turning this stuff into the soil, is... Yes, I have plenty of weeds. and yeah. I have to pull them up and regularly. See, that's why we espouse what's called no-till. You don't turn the soil over. You don't till it up every year. Um, you make it lice and, lice and loose. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, you make it nice and loose to begin with, and then you put fresh compost on it on top every season. The nutrients in the compost will work their way down into the soil, feed the plants, and improve the soil, and then covering them with uh, an inch or two of shredded leaves would make things perfect. Oh. I would I would leave the grass clippings on the lawn. <clears throat> that's okay. that's a matter for another call. But um, okra should be rotated. Um, you want to stop using that one bed for okra and move it to a different part of the garden next season. Um, okay. Because you have you have aphids that may be okra specific so you don't want to make it easy for them um, to get an early shot at next year's crop so rotate it to another part of the garden keep an eye on it and if you see anything like this again you know you'll see the the white insects before you see the black uh, that's their frass their honeydew their bug poop Oh, okay. Uh, so as soon as you see anything like that on your okra, just get out there with a garden hose that has an adjustable setting and use the yeah. sharpest stream of water to really blast them off. It's all you need to do. Okay. Just just pressure water under pressure, and that knocks them out. Oh, yeah, and it's very satisfying to see them go flying. <laughs> all right. Uh, that sounds very practical and very good advice, Mike. I appreciate it. All right. Well, my pleasure. I like to be right once a month or so. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's, that's a good project. Yeah. All right. Well, you take care, sir, and have a good season I, next year. I'll do my best, and thank you again. Really my, appreciate it. My pleasure. Bye-bye. Two little 
little bug, little bug, little bug, little bug, little bug, little bug. One little bug, little bug, little bug, little bug, little bug, little bug. One little bug, little bug, little bug, little bug, little bug, little bug. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and remind everybody that the perfect time to plant tulips, daffodils, and other spring bulbs is fast approaching in most gardens, with an ideal date between Halloween and Thanksgiving for most of us. But don't go seeking your personal recommended local planting date just yet, because we'll be right back with how to grow your own loofah gourds and more of your fabulous phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden. From the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA, I am your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later in the show, yes, you can grow your own sponges for bath and shower use in your garden. It's a cool thing to do, but it's going to take the whole season and you need to know what you're doing. We'll supply that information after lots more of your fabulous phone calls at 888 888- 492-9444. Trisha, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, Mike. Hello, Trish. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm just ducky. Thanks for asking. <laughs> Where's Trisha doing good? I'm in Birdsboro, Pennsylvania. Okay. All right. I know where that is. What can we do for Trisha in Birdsboro? I bought a new willow tree recently and uh, planted it in April. It was about three feet tall at the time, Mm -hmm. and it's now about four feet tall. Uh, But I've noticed that the leaves have brown spots all over them, and it started out a few here and there, and then now most leaves are covered with these spots. And I was wondering, what am I doing wrong? Um, is something do, missing from my soil? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you uh, do the branches look gnarly or distorted? No. Now yeah. you say you brought it home and you planted it. Was it in a pot? Was it bare root? What was it you planted? It was in a pot. And you yeah. took it out of the pot. Correct. And um, made then, the holes, you know quite larger than the pot, and then added uh, fresh dirt and some bumper crop to it what? Um, to get it going. Some and, what? Uh, it's called bumper crop. <laughs> we we purchased it for other things that we were planting, like bushes and things, and 
Uh, we just had some left over, so we added that. It's just uh, got some nutrients in the soil. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, one prime rule of gardening that we haven't discussed. Uh, just because there's a bag of something sitting in your garage doesn't mean that you're supposed to be using it on this planting. Um, now, when you planted it, did you plant it high or did you plant it low, really get it down there deep in the soil? Um, the instructions were to make sure that the root ball was level with the ground. Okay. So when you planted it, you could see the top of the root ball? Correct. Yeah. Okay. And you Slightly. back... And then we put the mulch. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Wait, wait a minute. First, we backfilled with the soil you dug out. Yes, no? Yes, that's correct. Okay, that's good. Yes. Now, what kind of mulch are we talking? Uh, it's just... Um, pine bark mulch, no colorings or anything like that. Okay. Um, Why did you think you needed to do that? I guess you're just trying to control weeds in the future? Um, Weeds and to retain some moisture. Uh, We weren't getting a whole lot of rain, so uh, we knew that, you know, every time we watered it, I wanted to keep the the, the mulch damp, uh, but I don't ever put it up against the tree bark. Good, good. We're not, you're not doing too badly. <clears throat> and okay. um, when you water, how do you water? Um, with a hose. Um, soak it, you mean? Um, I was told that willow trees love water. Yes. So I was, you know, watering it as often as I could think to water it. Now, be specific. And, uh, I know this is not the context that people think in, but walk me through what you do when you water. I don't want to put words in your mouth. I typically would fill a water can that I have. Uh, It's about one gallon or two gallon, two gallon water can. And I would use about half of it to, to water around the base of the tree. Okay. And that would be. As often as I could. uh, Well, as often as you could is not really ideal. You want to get a rain gauge. And you'll be able to use this for all your other plants. It'll, it'll tell you exactly what you need to do and when. And if you get an inch of water from the sky in any given week, you don't need to water. If you don't get an inch of rain and we go through a hot and dry spell, then you can water twice that week. If we Don't get an inch of rain, but the weather is kind of normal, um, then once a week. And you want to do this by letting a hose drip slowly at the base of the plant um, for at least an hour. I would say longer, but willows develop these impossibly elongated roots. So they're going to be able to find um, moisture in the soil. Get rid of the mulch, get rid of the wood mulch, and replace that with an inch of high-quality compost. Um, I predict that by next spring, your leaf spot problems will be gone. Willows do love water, but it's their roots that love water. There are no plants, really, that enjoy getting their leaves wet. So the best way to water is to make sure it's just at the root zone. Wood mulch of any kind will promote diseases like this leaf spot, which is a disease, but it's an easy one to cure. 
So you remove the wood that's nurturing the disease, replace it with compost, that'll suppress the disease, and you'll have a beautiful willow in the spring. Okay, perfect. And the same would go for maybe like a Japanese maple, no mulch. Oh, correct. Yeah, no. Um, yeah. And you, you can't say no mulch because people have come to believe that mulch equals wood, and that's never been true. Compost makes the best mulch. Um, compost gotcha. will prevent disease and cure it. But as with humans, prevention is better than trying to cure something later on. Correct. Yes. I was hoping that, uh, you know, I could remedy this by the spring because, you know, I'd like to see some new, fresh, you healthy will. leaves growing. You will. And if you want to make Perfect. sure, if you want some insurance, just rake up any leaves uh, that fall around the base of the willow that have the spots on them and throw them in the trash. Don't don't compost. OK. OK. All Perfect. right. Good yeah. luck to you. I think you'll do fine. All right. Thank you so much, Mike. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Bye-bye. Love your show. Oh, All thank right. you. Bye-bye. Carl, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Yes. Thank you, Mike. Nice to nice talking to you. Nice talking to you, Carl. How you doing? I'm doing well. I have some vegetable problems down here in Lake Park, Georgia. Lake Park, Georgia. Now, uh, where are we? We are about five miles from the Florida border, right in the middle of Georgia. Okay, so uh, in a straight line, would you go down to Tallahassee? Uh, yes. Okay. All right. Uh, maybe 30 minutes out away from Tallahassee, I would say. <clears throat> All right. Okay, I know exactly where you are. And um, a very warm climate, but you'll get, uh, you'll get a couple of frosts over the winter, right? That's correct. All right. So what can we do you for? Well, I, I was born and raised in New York, and I always had vegetable gardens up there. Mm -hmm. I moved down to down here about three years ago, and I have had the worst luck growing vegetables. They just get burnt up with the heat during the summer. Yeah. It's not like I don't water them, but when it gets to like, you know, it's feeling like 120 down here at the time, they just shrivel up and die. I just, I just don't know what kind of vegetables I can grow. Well, there are true southern favorites um like okra and black-eyed peas Yuck. and things Yuck. like <laughs> what do you want to grow well i like tomatoes mm -hmm. i like cucumbers mm -hmm. uh but i haven't had one tomato i mean i've had at least 12 tomato plants down here oh and not one tomato okay so uh, where are you getting your plants? Are you starting from seed? Or are you buying uh, started plants? No, I, I, I get started plants locally. And from where? Uh, I hate to say it, but Lowe's or Home Depot. Yeah, there you go. It's part of your problem. Um, okay. These big box stores don't necessarily carry varieties that are acclimated to the region they're being sold in. Um, with your very specific climate, and probably destined to get even a little bit warmer over the years, I think you should be buying your starts from a local independent garden center. Um, they really, I mean, these businesses have been around as long as family farms, and they need our support. And you can imagine a family business like this when a Lowe's opens up three miles away. I mean, they're devastated, and they need loyal local customers 
uh, to keep them around. In addition to which, they are the best source of local gardening information. So I want you to make a uh, make a contact, get to know the people at a couple of the local garden centers, and you don't even need to tell them you need heat-resistant vegetables. They will have them, and they will hold your hand as you select your varieties. You may not do as well growing the varieties you grow back on the East Coast. But there are many varieties of tomatoes that have been especially bred to be heat resistant. And oh, you'll that's ha- interesting. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, there are seed companies down south that specialize in selling heat resistant varieties. Oh, variety choice is crucial in your situation. Um, I'll add that, you know, peppers, you're having some success with peppers, right? Only jalapeno peppers. Hmm. That was the only, that's the only plant that grew. Okay. So are you growing in flat earth or raised beds? Uh, it's flat earth. Okay. It's full sun all day. Oh, well, that's ridiculous. Uh, yeah. Um, it's, it's funny because you read a seed packet or a catalog description and it says full sun. They're talking about me. <laughs> They're talking about Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Delaware, New York. The further south you go, full sun means, oh, my God, can I please get some afternoon shade? So I don't. That's what it seems like. Oh, yeah. No. I mean, if you if you drive around and you see really professional gardens, they have hoops that are covered by shade cloth. Uh to break that awful afternoon sun. So what I'm going to suggest is you stop trying to grow too many plants. You concentrate on a few plants. Over your, quote, winter, I want you to build a couple of raised beds. Four by eight, one foot high, filled with a mixture of topsoil and compost with some perlite. Um, Where you are and with the conditions... It, it's the worst possible place to try to grow in flat earth. You really want the added benefits of raised beds. Plus, you also need to get these plants out early. You're not planting by the calendar. As soon as nights are reliably in the 50s, you get these plants out. And that way you're going to get a good harvest before the worst of the summer heat hits. Then when the heat really builds, again, this is a a little bit of construction necessary, but you'll have it forever. You want to have big hoops that will go over the top, metal hoops that will go over the top of the raised beds and use rebar. You insert the hoops right into the, the sides of the raised beds. And then any garden center down there will sell you shade cloth. And you have it rigged up so that when it starts to get hot, you just pull on a rope and the shade cloth covers it for the heat of the day. And um, you're welcome to, you know, take it back off in the evening or leave it up. Uh, But in the morning, take it off because the morning sun is the only thing you're going to get that's going to be hugely useful to you. 
um, and then protect them in the afternoon. When you water, um, get a rain gauge so you know you know when things are dry. Um, normally, I tell people to water one inch a week in the summertime, but you need two waterings of an inch a week in the summertime. And the way you do this is not with a garden hose or anything like that. You, well, you can use a garden hose, but you take off the nozzle and you let it drip in your raised bed for four to six hours. Or you go out and buy these little, you know, tubes that either sweat or they have holes punched in them. And you water your beds deeply using, um, using these devices. Uh, but you can't if you if you water for 20 minutes a day or 10 minutes a day or stand there and wet the plants, you're only going to cause damage. You want to. Well, that's what I've been doing. What? <laughs> Causing damage. I've yeah. been setting up a sprinkler. Yeah, I've been set, setting up a sprinkler every day. Yeah. No. Trying to water them every morning. No, no, no. That's wrong because the plants have to dry out between watering. And how long have you been watering for? Uh, 20 minutes, half an hour. Yeah, that's a joke. Um. They want two deep, long soakings a week. Um, that'll really saturate the bed. The plants will uh, then grow deeper roots as the water recedes. And by the time that things are really dry, you repeat the watering again. And again, if you use these, uh, you know, I'm blanking out on the correct term here. Uh, but if you use these sweat lines or these drip lines, you can even connect it to a um, to a timer, and it'll do it automatically for you. But you got to get heat-specific varieties, and you got to keep them well watered, which is long, deep, but infrequent soakings. And, and get them off the ground. Get them off the ground. You're not supporting well, building. You, you, you said oh, put, oh uh, yeah, build raised beds. A box. Yeah, I hope you're supporting yeah. the tomatoes. <laughs> well, I, until they die. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. No, I. <laughs> yeah. Uh, again, heat resistant varieties, afternoon shade, um, a good mulch of shredded leaves on the surface of your raised beds uh, to keep the moisture inside. Uh, don't expect a lot in the hottest days of the year. If you can keep the plants alive, that's great. But otherwise, people in your region grow in the off season. They treat uh, July and August as if it were winter up here. So don't expect, right. don't expect a lot during those times unless you're growing sweet corn. Um, I tried corn too, and that, that died also. Well, I think, you know, you also need the advice of that local garden center. And don't well, be— look into that. They will probably have a second season run of tomatoes as well, that as we get into July and August, they'll have a fresh run of starts because, you know, those plants will keep producing um, un until November or Christmas. All right. All right? Well, I, I thank you. Thank you very much. I very— very informative. All right. Well, it's my pleasure. It's a whole different ball game out there, pal. Oh, it's different down here, that's for sure. But, <laughs> well, okay, thank you. Good luck for you next year. Thank you. We'll talk to you again soon. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. 
Well, it's time for me to take a little break and warn everybody out there with the cool season lawn, that means bluegrass and or fescue, the time is running out to overseed bare spots and cure compacted soil with a core aerator that pulls plugs out of the dirt and allows air and water to better reach the root system of your turf. But don't go pulling those plugs just yet because we'll be right back to explain how to grow your own bath sponges and take more of your fabulous phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. This is 91.3 FM, WLVR Bethlehem, WLVR.org. Welcome back to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath, and we are now in the stretch, cats and kittens. In a question of the week you will not soon forget, we will tell you how to grow your own bath and shower sponges in your own garden. And we're telling you about it at this time of year because there's preparations to be made. We'll reveal what that is after a couple more of your fabulous phone calls at 888-492-9444. Martha, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you. Well, thank you, Martha. How you doing? Doing okay. And where is Martha doing okay? In Overbrook. I live in Philadelphia in Overbrook. I know the Overbrook section of Philly. I'm a Philly boy. Okay. All right, what can we do for Martha and Overbrook? Well, I have a problem. I bought um, two of those, um, you know, they come in yellow. I can't think of the name of them. They come in yellow and white and all different colors. You know the name of what I'm talking about. What are they? Uh, oh. you, well, you bought them for fall use. Yes, yes. Uh-huh. So they'd either be pansies or mums. Mum, that's it, that's it, that's it, that's it. And what I, my problem is that I don't have no place to they sit them in my yard, and I just wonder if I and I have my I have half rocks in my yard and half and half soil, and I just wonder if I leave them in the pot and they die. But next year, will they come back? No, um, I can't think of a single plant that can be left outdoors in our region in the winter time that will survive. Uh, the only way you can achieve that is to dig a hole and drop the pot into the hole so that the okay. root system is below the soil line. Um, okay, so just drop the whole thing in the, in the hole, the pot and all. Yeah, pot and all. There's no point in okay. taking it out. And, okay. if, uh, and, of course, you have to make sure that the plants are hardy, winter hardy. Uh, there are different types of mums. Uh, right. 
the ones that are heavily pinched and look like, uh, you know, our grandmother's bathing cap down the shore, those uh-huh. those are generally hardy mums, and they'll survive the winter with their roots below soil. But they won't okay. come back looking the way they do now. Okay. The plants you have now have been pruned by hand. It's one of the last non-automated things in the horticultural world. Every hardy mum that looks like an old shower cap, um, you see, has been on a, a, a conveyor belt. And there are people there who just pinch, pinch, pinch until they get that look of that big head of flowers. Yeah, because it's real big, and some of them haven't bloomed yet, but I see they're blooming. Well, that's fine. That's fine. Better to buy this type of flower with the blooms that haven't opened than to buy one that's been sitting around for a couple of months and it's not going to do much more. Right. So they need to be put below ground. Um, If we have a dry winter, you need to water them. Most people don't think we need to water plants in the winter, but the cold wind just whips any moisture out of the plant and they can die of desiccation. So if we don't get snow, we don't get rain, every once in a while you should give them a deep watering. But next season they're going to revert to their natural form and they're not going to have that um, totally rounded look. And and how regular do I... How regularly should I water them now because I have them sitting up on the rocks? How regularly should I water them once a week? Once a week if you don't get rain or snow. Okay. All right. I hate to use the S word, but, you know. Oh, me too. <laughs> okay. I don't like the S word. All right. And thank you, Mike. I, I thought you was off the air because I listened to you at 10 o'clock and you wasn't on 10. You come on at 1030 now, so I was getting a little upset. Right, right. They uh, they are showing my TV show at 1030 on Saturday morning on uh-huh. PBS 39 as yes. opposed mm-hmm. to 10 o'clock. That's why I always tell people to join our Facebook page because we always announce that kind of stuff in advance. Right. Okay, then. All right. Well, thank, thank you, you for bringing much. that up. Yes, I thank you. You take care. Bye-bye. You take care. God bless you. You too. Mm-hmm. Okay, bye-bye. As promised, it is time for the question of the week. Lufa gourds, how to grow your own shower sponges. Back at the end of July, Stephen Lancaster, PA, wrote, I have a friend at work who told me she's going to try and grow a loofah plant and harvest the gourds for shower use. Is this a thing? Is there anything specific to know about the plant? Can I grow them from seed? If so, I'm all in. Although, with my luck, evil squirrels will end up using the sponges in my bird bath. It is indeed a real thing, Steve. In fact, I'm growing loofahs myself this year. Like pumpkins, loofahs are true gourds. Quote, all pumpkins are gourds, but not all gourds are pumpkins. And they are one of the best novelty crops you can grow, harvesting an all-natural bath sponge from each gourd, if you do it right. The big issue is timing. Loofahs take a long time to fully mature. The seed packet I'm currently using specifies a maturity rate of 110 days, which is a long time, especially if it means what I suspect. To explain that comment, we must now delve into the murky mists of DTM, days to maturity. 
for crops that are typically started indoors and then transplanted outside when they are six to eight weeks old, like peppers and tomatoes, the DTM clock does not start ticking until the transplant goes into the ground. But for crops that are typically direct seeded, like corn, peas, beans, salad greens, and such, DTM refers to the date that the seed was planted in warm soil, of course. Most of us will have to start our loofahs indoors to get enough growing time. So add six weeks to 110 days, and you come up with 150 or so days to sponge harvesting. So first, we got to be realistic. I know I don't like being realistic either. Fantasy gardening is much more my speed. Now, let's say you're in a medium-level USDA Zone 6. You shouldn't plant tropicals and semi-tropicals like gourds, tomatoes, and peppers until nighttime temps are reliably in the 50s. Now, let's say May starts chilly. You still got all of June, July, and August for prime time, which means September will tell the tale. A warm September may give you a shot at having fully matured gourds. And yes, fully matured they must be for this to work if you want to get sponges. The task is a lot easier for gardeners in USDA Zone 7 and above. But if you're in a low zone, the odds are against you. Now, I'm not saying it can't be done, but it requires a lot of strategizing on your end. To add to the excitement, growing my own loofahs this year after a long absence reminded me that they grow like pumpkins, which is to say they grow all over the place. If you have grown pumpkins previously, you know that their vines are the 800-pound gorillas of the garden. They grow wherever they want, and they smother puny pepper plants like Godzilla trampling a car wash. I relearned this the hard way this season when I noticed that my two loofah starts had engulfed all my other baby plants seemingly overnight, turning my growing area into a tangled mess that kudzu would be challenged to duplicate. It took hours to untangle this puzzle, and at least one pepper plant joined the choir invisible during the surgery. I decided to move the loofahs to a giant raised bed on legs right outside my front door, where they would be somewhat protected from chilly nights. The two vines proceeded to run a marathon over the entire front of our house, reaching the roof line in record time. It took a while for the first female flowers to show up, but once they did, I finally had my first sponge to be growing. It looked like a slightly deflated zeppelin or an alien cucumber. It grew fast, then was followed by two more. At this point, we started pulling off any new flowers to force energy into ripening the existing fruits faster. As with all squash blossoms, the flowers are edible, and they're a delicacy when stuffed with a soft herbal cheese. I have also been advised that the young fruits are edible when picked small enough and eaten like zucchini. Thanks, but I don't eat things that look more like lawn darts than summer squash. All right, now we're in the stretch. It is October 10th as I pound these words into my helpless keyboard, and all three baby zeppelins are fully sized but still green. Ideally, you want to wait until the fruits turn brown to harvest. If you hear seeds rattling around inside, congratulations, you're definitely the proud parent of your own homegrown exfoliator. 
whatever you got, bring it inside before the first hard freeze and leave it out in the open to dry. And maybe it'll get a little riper like pumpkins do. Then peel off the outer brown shell, preferably using your fingers to pull off portions. Then rinse the sponge that awaits inside and set it aside to dry. You can use the sponge hole or slice it up into smaller sections you will fill with liquid soap. Either way, the result is well worth the wait as these are the best sponges. Oh, and we never bleached ours to whiten up the color as some sources suggest. Naturally light brown is just fine with us. Well, that sure was an interesting look at loofahs, now, wasn't it? Luckily for you, you can read this information over at your leisure or, of course, your leisure, because the question of the week appears in print at the Gardens Alive website. Just click the link for the question of the week at our website, which is still and will forever be YouBetYourGarden.org. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden question of the week, and you will always find the latest question of the week where at the Gardens Alive website. Yikes, my producer is threatening to liberate my loofahs if I don't get out of this studio. We must be out of time. But you can call us anytime at 888-492-9444 or send us your email, you're tired, you're poor, your wretched refuse teeming towards our garden shore at ybyg at wlvt.org. Please include your location. You make me so sad when you don't. You'll find all of our contact information, plus answers to your garden questions, audio of this show, audio and video of previous shows, and links to our internationally renowned podcast. It's all at that website, YouBetYourGarden.org. You Bet Your Garden is an hour-long public radio show and podcast produced and delivered to you every week from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Our radio show is distributed by PRX, the public radio exchange. You Bet Your Garden was created by Mike McGrath. Mike McGrath was created when authorities failed to inform the local lamplighter that his lamps had been recently electrified. Ooh, that's going to leave a mark. Ken Queter plays our theme song. Our chief content officer is Yoni Greenbaum. Our angel of the airways is Christine Dempsey. Our engineer is cheerful Charlie Sarah. Our social media director is Amanda Norfleet. Check out her fine work and ponder pretty pictures of other people's plants at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page. Our peerless princess of profound production is Teresa Radke. Our audio editor is the lovely Jonas Bowen. Our mascots are Zach the Taquisneski and Ducky the Dancing Duck. Our believed and beleaguered CEO is Tim Fallon. I'm your host, Mike McGrath, and I'll be pulling weirdly shaped potatoes from my potato patch until I can see you again next week.